Hallelujah for Jesus. It is an absolute joy to be with you, Celebration Center, today, and appreciate uh, Pastors Dustin and Stephanie uh, inviting me, and uh, to see President Farmer is always a joy. If I knew he was going to be here today, I would have probably done a little more intellectually challenging message than I prepared, but uh, you got to go with what you got to go with, right, what God gives you, and... uh, we have, uh, I have a special uh, love and connection for the church, even though I've not been here before uh, in this fashion. Uh, the, we've had folks from my congregation attend here, uh, Michael and Kimberly Alsperger, if any of you know them, they grew up in my church. In fact, uh, when I was five years old and was a youth pastor, their parents were in my youth group, and, and uh I uh, married his, uh, Michael's parents and, and uh, so watched Michael grow up as a young boy and uh, great to see him doing what he's doing now. And then also, uh, you might know Kelly Armstrong. Kelly Armstrong grew up in my church and uh, watched him grow up as a boy as well and now serving God here in Open Bible and as, with such respect as a man and leader uh, for our our family of churches, so it's, it's, uh, I've always had connection. Also, I lived with the Hanslers for nine months uh, after COVID began. I went over and interned, interned after I retired, uh, and my son took over my church. Then I went over to, used to be Bethany, Canyon Ridge, now the Restoration Point Church uh, for nine months, lived there with the Hanslers and enjoyed that time with them so much. I want to uh, just say also, happy Father's Day. How many of you are fathers here? Very good. Uh, Certainly a happy Father's Day to you. My my own father uh, is truly my hero. My father, I I can say, literally saved my life in so many ways. Uh, the, The best man I ever met. I always said, because I was, I was a punk as a kid. I mean, I was, I was, I know that many think that I was probably born with a priest collar on. I was not. I, I was born a punk. You know that old song, Born to be Wild, that Steppenwolf sang? They, that, I think they wrote it, you know, with me in mind. I, I, was, I was an absolute bonehead. But my father was the greatest man, and he knew how to put guardrails around my life, difficult as it was. He knew how to love me. He knew how to raise me up, and I've always thought if I could just be half the man that he was, I I would be okay. He went home to be with Jesus on February 5th, 2020, uh, just before the outbreak of all the craziness in the world, and... uh, uh, that man will always be missed by me. He's a good man. And it leads me to tell you that the title of my sermon is Father's What's Love Got to Do With It? It actually has everything to do with it. Now, while I put the word fathers in there, you could, you could remove the word fathers because ultimately this message is... is Really, it displays the heart of our Father in heaven. It, it helps us to know what God is like. Uh, 
and my dad knew God, and because I knew my dad, something of God began to have implication to my life. And uh, my hope is that it is that same way with you. So I really, t- today, I want to I share with you a, a story from the Bible. Uh, you won't need to turn to that story. I'll tell you where it's at in just a moment. Uh, but in my, as I read through that story, I imagine how it went down, and I'm going to share that with you. But before we get there, I want to read to you the words of Jesus, because Jesus gives to us a command. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. It's one that, that uh, probably some of you easily could quote. We've all heard it. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the thing that churches might even speak about. But here's what Jesus said. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. <clears throat> Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new command. And... Uh, Here it is. I want you to love one another. But not just love one another. I want you to pay attention to how I love, and I want you to love one another the way that I love. Jesus gives that command. Now, sounds kind of simple, but in its simplicity, it's not all that easy to obey. To, 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 to love one another, I, I think, that sounds simple. I want to do that. I really want to do that. And then I encounter humans. Have any of you encountered a human? And you know how humans go. The, the reality is if, if, if everybody would just think like I think, if they would just do what I do, if they would just do what I want them to do, when I want them to do it, how I want them to do it, if they would just have my values, and if they would just have my preferences, why, then everything would be wonderful. They'd be easy to love. But no, no, it doesn't work that way. People, for some reason, want to have their own opinions. They want to have their own way of doing things. They have their own values, their own traditions. They have their own preferences, And consequently, what we discover is is that sometimes we end up in conflict with one another. It's not always just easy to love one another. It sometimes makes you want to say, have you ever said this? You know, what is wrong with people? You know, you just, you kind of wonder sometimes. But Jesus said, this is a command I'm giving you. It's not a command that will always be easy because we don't always think the same. We don't always, always have the same preferences, but it's what Jesus asks of us, commands us to do. I'll tell you a story from the Bible. He was sitting quietly in his secret hideout home when suddenly, unexpectedly, a knock comes to the door. He really probably is a little understated to say that it was a, a knock. It probably was more of an uh, authoritative pounding than it was a knock. And when that knock came to the door, it would change his life for the rest of his life. His life would never, ever be the same again. When that knock came to the door, it would have sent shivers down the spine of Mephibosheth. You can read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And when that knock came to the door, 
he began to fear, began to experience this flooding of anxiety because that knock had some authority behind it. He knew something was happening. You see, Mephibosheth has been living in hiding since he was five years old. He was just a boy. When he was five years old, his grandfather, King Saul, and his father, Jonathan, were killed on the hills of Gilboa. Now, the hills of Gilboa, where they were killed, is just across the valley from Nazareth. It, it's, the, it's the Jezreel Valley. It's a huge, huge valley. Anybody ever see, been there, seen the, hill, the valley of Jezreel? Uh, uh, of course, uh, Jeff has. Uh, it's gigantic. We, we know it and describe it as the Valley of Armageddon. And uh, on the hills of Gilboa, King Saul is facing off with the Philistines. They are in a major battle, a war. And in that battle, King Saul loses his life and his sons lose, his, lose their lives as well. Mephibosheth's uncle, uncles die in that battle. It's just a little bit after that that one of uh, a fourth son of, of King Saul, he ends up getting murdered while sleeping in his bed, violently assassinated by some men that claim loyalty to David. And all this is going down, and it's pretty hectic, and there's a lot of stuff happening around in, in, the, in Israel during that. And so somebody most likely sent off a runner who would have come to the home of Jonathan, where young Mephibosheth was at. And when that knock came to the door, and the door was opened, the runner would have announced to the people in the home that Saul was dead. And that Jonathan was dead. And that all the sons of Saul were dead. The nurse who was caring for five-year-old Mephibosheth is scared. She's afraid. She's afraid for Mephibosheth. So she gathers him up, throws him over her shoulder, and she takes off running. She's not running really so much for her life, but she's running for his life, to save his life, because she believes he's in danger. The reason she would believe that she's in danger, because now David is going to become king. And everything would say that David would have every reasonable right to want to take his revenge against the family, whoever is left, of King Saul. Because King Saul ruined David's life, in all appearances. David had everything going for him. He had a pretty good thing going. He, and, and it was Saul who messed that up. When David is a young teenager, he comes into the, the Israeli camp of the warriors of Israel and uh, he's bringing lunch to his brothers. And as he comes, he discovers that, that uh, Israel is faced off in a, a battle with the Philistines. And on one side of the, of the valley up on a hillside is Israel and on the other side is the army of the Philistines. But down in the valley, I'll call it the valley of death, is a giant named Goliath, and you know the story. And nobody wants to face off, and, and I call it the valley of death because uh, it's well known to David. David says, you know, uh, that, that uh, everybody there was kind of afraid to go down and deal with Goliath because the Goliath said, 
Send one of your, send your best guy down here. Whoever will meet me here, if I kill him, you guys will be servants to us. If it's the other way around, we'll be servants to you. Nobody would go down and face him. And David was like, are you serious? What is wrong with you people? You know, this is craziness. You know, somebody go down there and shut that guy up. David, the teenager, went down there and took care of business in the power of God. God led him by faith. He found victory. And the people, they began to rejoice. They began to sing songs. Saul had said, if anybody will go down there and do this, you can marry my daughter, you can sit at my table, you can, you know, all these different things you're going to get. You'll be a wealthy man. David became wealthy overnight. He married, he became the son-in-law to Saul overnight. He, uh, he had songs sung about him. People are rejoicing and singing songs and celebrating David. I mean, he's got it going on. Life is good. He went from watch, watching sheep out in the, in, the, in the desert area, and now he is sitting at the king's table. But just as quickly, Saul becomes very jealous and decides to kill him, wants to eliminate him. And as you might remember the story, David's got to run for his life. David runs out into the wilderness, and he ends up hiding out in caves, and, and you hear his heart when he pens such things as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs for you. He's, he's out there, and he is alone, and he's feeling empty and lost and broken, and Saul is the guy. David had to pretend that he was mentally ill so he could get along with some of the enemies of Israel. David had to align himself with the enemies of Israel so that he could try and save his own life. Things were not what it once was. And if you just look at it in the natural, David has every reason in the world to want to take his revenge because once he had it going on and now he has lost everything. Everything is gone until Saul dies in battle, and now David is king. And the nurse hears that all these sons of Saul are gone, and David is king. She grabs little five-year-old grandson of King Saul, son of Jonathan, throws him over her shoulder, and off she runs to save his life, to save his life. And as she's running, she trips and falls. She falls forward, casting him off of her shoulder. He lands on some rocks and is severely injured. He's so injured that he cannot walk for the rest of his life. He's crippled. He can't walk. She gets him finally to a place that is of safe hiding, and, and there he begins to grow. He gets older. Don't know exactly how many years, but maybe it's like 20 years he's there in, in hiding. And, and there he is, and he's got his own young son now. And maybe his son's five years old. And there he is living in hiding when suddenly a knock comes to the door. And fear just washes over him. His little boy, most likely, as any child would do, probably would have run to the door before Mephibosheth had a chance to even stop him and opens up the door. And all of Mephibosheth's fears were realized in that moment because standing at the door would have been some of the palace guard of King David. 
dressed in all their, their suit of armor and their weapons and spears and swords and everything, and they're standing there. And the young Micah would have looked at his dad, uh, now ex- sensing there's some tension and fear in the room, looking back at his dad and sees his dad is white as a ghost. He's scared. The soldiers would have just pushed on by. They would not have asked permission to come in. They would have just come on in. And they'd have gone over to Mephibosheth and said, we are here by order of the king to retrieve you and bring you back to the king's court. Mephibosheth, he can't do anything about it, but but comply. And they pick him up and off they go. And I can imagine that a young boy named Micah is scared and he's fearful and he's crying now because something's going on that, that is beyond his understanding. And Mephibosheth, like any father, would have reached out for his son and taken him by the hand. And as men are carrying him out the door, and he's probably trying to comfort young Micah as they're going out the door, trying to deal with what's going on. They get outside. You would have seen the horses of these soldiers. You would have seen a carriage that was there to pick Mephibosheth up. You would have seen another man there, the man that, that uh, Mephibosheth saw. When he got out the door, he looks off to the side, and he sees a man that he recognizes. That man is not dressed in the gear and garment of a soldier, but probably more like a government official. And I can, I can see him standing there just watching discompassionately. Just watching what's going on. And Mephibosheth recognizes him. Even though he was only five years old when he left the palace of King Saul, when he left, he remembered this man. You see, this man's name was Ziba. And he remembers that Ziba had served in the court of his grandfather. And now Ziba is serving in the court of David. And it was Ziba who said to David, I know where some, a family member of Saul is. I know where one is hiding. And, and David dispatches Ziba to go get him and bring him back to the court of David. Mephibosheth is taken with his son and they are put into a carriage and, and that carriage begins to head out towards where David's palace is at. Now, when Mephibosheth was a five-year-old boy, his name wasn't Mephibosheth. That wasn't the identity that his father gave him. You see, his father, Jonathan, was a man of God. His father, Jonathan, was a warrior in his own right. His, His father, Jonathan, believed that God would give them victory against anything of the spirit of this world. He believed that God would absolutely empower them, that they had nothing to fear. They could ride into every battle with confidence because God would take care of them and give them victory. And Jonathan was a valiant warrior in his own right. And when Jonathan became a a father himself, he didn't name his son Mephibosheth. He actually named him Mephibol, Mephibol which means warrior against Baal or warrior against false gods. He intended for his son to carry the identity of a man of faith. He intended for his son to have the identity of someone who knew that if God is for you, who could be against you? 
That's what he intended. And he named him Mephibosheth, warrior against false gods. But when this nurse takes him at five years of age and runs off with him and they put him into hiding, they, they had to keep him secret. They had to, they had to save his life. Somebody had forgot that God is the Savior of us all. But they thought had to save his life. So they changed his name and they gave him a new identity. And the new identity was Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth means son of shame. And so where he once was called warrior against false gods, now under this this stuff that's been going on around him, suddenly his identity has been changed to son of shame. That wasn't the identity his dad intended for him. Certainly wasn't the name that, that, uh, his, that Jonathan would have wanted him to live under. But up until this moment, since he was five years old, his life has just been a life that has been spent under broken love, under abandonment, rejection, hiding, uh, not wanting anybody to know who he was and where he was at. He's lived under the cloud of that for all these, well, let's just, let's call it 20 years. I don't know how many it was, but, but he was old enough to be a father. So let's say maybe he's maybe 25 himself, who knows. He once was known as warrior against false gods, but now he is known as son of shame. You know, I want to just, I think in your notes, if you have them, I, I put a little note there. You see, because if we talk about what, what is God up to, what is God doing? What's God doing in your life? What's God doing in my life? You know, God has something very, very specific that he does in all of us. And what I want you to note is this, is that we all, we will either be defined by our brokenness or we will be defined by the liberating love of God that has been extended to us through Jesus at the cross. One or the other. You're either going to be defined by your brokenness or you're going to be defined by the liberating love of God extended to you and I through the work of Jesus on the cross. I think about, uh, about that and I am grateful for what God has done because Mephibosheth, he finally ends up at the, at, uh, the court. When he ends up at the court... He, uh, he's brought in before David. He's scared to death. He's scared. These men carry him in. He probably has his young son Micah by the hand, and they bring him in, and they set him down in front of the throne where David is at. They set him down, and, and David is sitting there in front of him, and Mephibosheth is probably shaking with fear. This, this is a tough moment. His time has come. The gig is up. He's been found. And most likely, David has an opportunity to take his revenge. As he sits there in front of King David, I'm sure he's a lot of stuff running through his mind. What can he say to save him and his son? And if he can't save himself, what can he say that might cause David to actually Spare his son, Micah. And he's, he's probably going over. He would have bowed low out of respect and honor to David, not knowing what is going on. But he would have bowed low. 
And as he, he does so, he's probably thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And he knows that he is powerless, powerless to save himself. But what can he say that might make sense to David? David, you know, I'm, you are the best. You're the best king. I'm so grateful you're our king. I honor you as king. And, and I'm so sorry that my grandpa was an idiot. You know, uh, uh, if you're going if, if to take my life, you know, okay. But please, 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 not young Micah. He, he wasn't even alive then, you know. Uh, going through it all his mind. And then David stands. David takes a couple steps forward, towards him. And here's what David says. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat with, he, with me here at the king's table. Don't be afraid. Now, I'll just tell you, what has that whole story got to do with you and I? What is, what is, how does that connect to your life and to my life? Well, I want to give you a couple of observations because love has everything to do with it. You know, as a father, I am so grateful for my two sons and my daughter and my eight grandchildren. I prayed for all of them this morning. I got these marvelous texts from them, and it blessed me to hear from them today. You know, they're saying, happy Father's Day. Hey, Gramps, happy Grandfather's Day. You know, I'm loving every minute of it. What does it mean? What does love have to do with it? It has everything to do with it. Here's the first observation. True love restores true identity. True love restores true identity. I ask, could ask the question, what is it that defines you? What, what, is, it, is it your past that defines you? Is it the things that you yourself have done, good or bad? Is it the things that have been done to you, good or bad? Is it what other people say about you that defines you? Or is it what God intends for you that defines you? Is it what God has to say about you that defines you? Is it the identity that God wants for you that defines who you are? Mephibosheth, he received a false identity. It wasn't true. He wasn't son of shame. He was warrior against false gods. But that got taken from him in the brokenness of life. But God was going to restore to him what God intended. Our identity was never, ever meant to be one of brokenness, but one of strength and confidence in a God who so loved us that he gave his only son for us. That's what God intended for us. I think about my own father. When my father uh, named me, I love my dad. He is the best. I can see him in my mind's eye. You know, he's a good man. I wish you had a chance to know him. When I was born and he took me in his arms and he held me, as he held me in his arms, you know, he said, Gary, 
Gary. He, he gave me a name, Gary. Do you know what, what Gary means in Japanese? Does, does anybody here speak Japanese? My brother lives in Japan. He has for 30-plus years, married a wonderful Japanese girl, and, and he lives and works there in Japan. And, and uh, I've learned a few things. Gary in Japanese. My dad called me Gary. In Japanese, the name Gary means diarrhea. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? Are you kidding me? You know? diarrhea. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, the good news is my dad didn't know Japanese. He, did, he didn't know that. He didn't intend to give me a name that really fit what my life was like for, for a number of years as a, as a punk kid. But uh, that wasn't certainly my dad's desire. His, his heart was to, to raise me up to be a man of God although I ran from that for a period of time. Our, 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 our identity is not meant to be one of brokenness. Your identity is not to be associated with the bad decisions of your life or the bad decisions of someone else on your life and the devastation of it. God has an identity for you. I love it where it says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, he who has an ear, if you have ears, pay attention to what he's saying. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. To all who have ears to hear, God has an identity for you, a new name, not a name that was, that was given under brokenness, not a name associated with bad decisions, not a name that, is, that, is, that reminds you and others of, of things that have gone wrong. No, no, no. He's given you a new name. And, and I think about it because I know the new name that God has given to me. I know it. Now, if that sounds like some weird religion, it's not. Uh, I'm just telling you, my favorite verse in the Bible is Jude verse 24. And in Jude 24, it's only, it's Jude 24, not because there's 24 chapters. There's only one chapter, and it's the 24th verse of that one chapter. It's my favorite verse. It says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling, depending on which translation you read. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It, this is the picture I have in my mind. My time has come. And I take the journey my dad has already taken in 2020. And I take that journey, and as I make my way into heaven, and I go into the court of heaven, and I look up front, and there's Jesus. My knees are trembling. I'm feeling very weak. Uh, I, I don't know if I can do it, but I see Jesus saying, hey, come on up here. And I carefully walk through 
millions of angels and people have just kind of made a little spot and up I go and everybody's, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And I'm going down and I'm shaking, shaking, shaking. I get up front and Jesus puts his hand on my shoulder and he looks at the throne of God and with joy, it says, he says, I want to present someone to you. It's Gary the Faultless. Oh, Gary the Faultless. I'll tell you the truth. I'd be saying, Jesus, mm, you're looking so. This is Gary the Guilty. Gary the Guilty. He said, No, no, no. Your identity is not based upon the brokenness of the world and times you lived in and the stupid decisions that you made. Your identity now is in the liberating love of God extended by me to you at the cross of Jesus. You are now dubbed the faultless. How would you like to have some uh, Jesus say your name and then put the faultless after it? None of you. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I do. I, I absolutely, you know, <laughs> not even President Farmer said yes. I'm kind of concerned. I've got an altar coming up here. <laughs> you know, uh, Gary the Faultless. It's amazing what Jesus has done for us. Our identity now is not because of something that is connected to the brokenness of this world. It is It is connected to what Jesus did for you at the cross. That's our identity. David said, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I'm going to restore to you everything I promised your dad. This is not even about you. I made a promise to your dad. You know, my granny, she was all a four foot ten. She was my great grandma. And my great-grandma, when I was in eighth grade, and was an absolute punk of a kid. I mean it. I, I was horrible. I made dynamite with a friend and blew up the high jump pit at the junior high school. We, I climbed out the window when the teachers were talking. I, I, I was in trouble more than, than I should have been. I was always, always causing my dad grief. And I remember my great-grandma she stood below me, all of four foot ten, and she put her finger up in my face, and she said, I wanted to say diarrhea, but no, Gary. She said, Gary, I want to tell you something. I prayed, and I asked God, and he's made me a promise that every member of my family will be in heaven and will know Jesus as Lord. She was talking to a young man that wasn't living for Jesus. My granny has been long since gone to heaven, but I can tell you this, at this moment in time, every single member of my family, all my children, my grandchildren, my brothers, my, 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 uh, my nephews, my niece, my cousins, their kids, I cannot think of a single member who does not love and believe in Jesus. Jesus keeps his promises, keeps them, and he'll keep them for you. He'll keep them for you. God brought Mephibosheth out of hiding. He'll do the same for you. 
He, he doesn't do that to, to hurt us, but to heal us. He brings us out of the hiding, the brokenness, uh, not, to, not to somehow uh, expose our, uh, our, our bad decisions, but to exonerate us. He, he doesn't do it to heap more shame upon us and point fingers at us. He does it to unravel the lies about who he really intends you to be a son and a daughter, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the way God works. Mephibosheth's response was 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8, and he says this. He, it says that he bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Man, I don't know about how you think and consider yourself, but I remember being at the altar more than once thinking that God could not forgive me. In fact, when I, I knelt at an altar and prayed, I had a whole bunch of people praying around me, their hands on me. I wasn't feeling anything, and I, but I thought, I, I thought, well, man, if all these people care this much, maybe I ought to get saved. So I prayed a prayer in my mind. I had a guy sitting, kneeling next to me, had never been to church before in his life. This was my friend. Never, ever been to church in his life. Knew nothing about God. I brought him to church because of the girls. And, uh, and I told him, hey, you got to come to church. There was girls at camp. You know, and so, so he comes. And so he's kneeling there with me because people brought us forward. And I prayed and I said, God, I guess I should get saved. Everybody cares about me. And so, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. And I, I, I didn't feel anything. Nothing. Zero. And I remembered that somebody preached in the church service one time a sermon that wasn't true. And the preacher said that if you reject God a certain amount of times, that it, there's a particular moment in time when God will just quit on you and he'll reject you. It is not true. It's not true. And I remembered that, hearing that sermon, and as I knelt there at that altar on that day, just a punk kid, teenager, I, uh, I said, ah, I remember that, God. I'm sorry it didn't work out. Sorry that I've lived such a life and all the times that I rejected God came into my mind and all the stuff that I have done that was, I mean, stuff I won't want to tell you, ridiculous. I was, I was a complete idiot. And um, I said, God, I'm, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I guess I'm going to hell. I'm just going to live my life the best I can. And suddenly I feel a different hand on my shoulder. It's, a, it's my friend who I brought to church, Kevin. Kevin never been to church before. He didn't know anything about God. He never read the Bible before. He didn't know anything about it. He looks at He gets my attention. I look at Kevin. He's crying. And he said, Gary, God wants you. Now, he didn't know that I was just in my mind praying, God, I guess you don't want me. I've said no too many times. I discovered it wasn't true. It had to be a young man who, who didn't know anything about God for God to talk to him to tell I could hear God say, no, it's not too late. I want you. I'll accept you right where you are, as you are, as you are. What has love got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. God loves us more than we could ever imagine. And God gave me a new name, 
Gary the faultless. Now, don't, please don't call me that. My wife might dispute it. But, but, but uh, God, I, I, I know I felt like a dead dog. I felt that there was no way that God would ever, ever accept me. But he did. He did. And Jeff and others have had to because now I'm a pastor and they're probably all wondering why. But, but uh, it's because of God. Here's the second observation. It'll go very quickly. Observation number two is this. He gives you a seat at his table. He gives you a seat at his table. 2 Samuel 9, 13 says, And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. You know, when you get a seat at the table, that, that, that's a step up in relationship. This not, not just anybody gets a seat at the table. If you came to Spokane and I didn't know you, I, you know, I, I know, I know Bill, so you know, I could, Bill could come right on in, you know. But, but uh, you know, there's a lot of people I don't know. If you came, you said, "Hey, let's go by and see if we can find that Pastor Gary." You knock on my door, I open the door, you say, "Hey, we're over here from Puyallup Celebration Center, and we in town want to say hi." I would say, "Oh, come on in." You wouldn't just push past me and come in. You would wait for the invitation. I would give you the invitation. You would come in. I'd close the door. We'd stand there. We'd talk for a moment. And I'd say, hey, we'll have a seat. You would go and sit where I invited you to sit. And you, and you would sit down. Your children would sit there next to you quietly. You know, and uh, they would sit there. And uh, we would, you know, I'd offer you a, a pop or something. Or I'd in, invite, you know, do, can I get you something? We, I would make you feel comfortable. But you wouldn't just do what my grandkids do. You see, my grandkids, I'm in my house, and suddenly I hear the door swing wide open. It swings open with such force, I'm, I know they're going to punch a hole in the wall someday. They just walk right on into Grandpa's house. They come on in. I come down the hallway, and there they are coming in, and they all walk up to me in turn, and they give me a big old hug. Hey, Gramps, and they give me a big hug. Once they give me a hug, they then turn their attention to this little this, this platter that Grandma has candy in. And each of them, they just reach into there and they start grabbing candy. And then after they grab the candy, they just right past me. And they, I see them turn the corner and go into the kitchen. And I am loving every minute of it. I've not given them permission to anything. They just walk right into the kitchen. I hear the refrigerator door open. I hear some noise and I hear these boys' voices talking among themselves. Then I hear the as they're opening up cans of pop. Then the kitchen refrigerator door closes and I see them come out. They go over to the garage door and they say, hey, Gramps, we're going to go out and play football. They know where the football is located in the garage, where we keep it. And they say, are you going to come out and play with us? And so, okay, all right. So out I go. And it's not long before I am on the ground begging their parents to come and rescue me because they have piled on me. I'm loving every minute of it. And those boys do not have to ask for permission for anything. They don't have to ask if they can come in my house. They don't have to ask if they can get into grandma's candy. I'm sure their parents would wish that they did. But grandma and grandpa don't care. They, could, they, could, they don't have to ask to open my refrigerator door. They don't have to ask me where the bathroom is at. Nothing. My house is their house. Because they belong to me. 
their family with me. They get to come in and just enjoy the benefit because all that is mine is theirs. I'll give them everything because they matter to me than everything, more than anything. All that other stuff doesn't matter. I'll do whatever for those kids. I love them. See, that's what happens in relationship with God. When we say, yes, Jesus, he calls us out of a place of hiding, and he restores to us all that is robbed of us as sons and daughters of God. That's what Jesus does for you and I. And on Father's Day, and I think about fathers, my dad seriously saved my life. If, if I can be even half the man he himself was, I know heaven will have a place for me. If I can just be half the man, half the man he was, then I'll be a good man. I'll be a good father. I'll be a good grandpa. I'll be a good husband. Nobody will have to wonder about things related to my life because I will be a trustworthy man. See, my father gave me an identity. And the identity he gives me is not the one that I gain in the flesh, but the one that I gain in the spirit. It comes from God. And I would say to all of you, probably, I don't know, maybe every one of you, already Christians, you're followers of Jesus. But I got to tell you, even as a follower of Jesus, it, it took some time for me to shed some of the stuff of being a punk. I, I actually did this. When I was at Eugene Bible College, we had this, this old brick building that we went to, and, and I actually, during class, climbed out the window there as well once during class. I took me, it just took me a while, you know, to, to, to really get my feet under me. I am, not, I am not yet where God would have me to be, but I can tell you this, with everything in me, I want to be a man who carries the identity of my heavenly father with the honor and the respect that is due his name. And I want to be a dad to my kids, and I want to be a husband to my wife that carries on a legacy of faith and trust in a God who will take us through all the way into eternity and give us a seat at his table. I just want you to bow your head with me for a moment. Regardless of where you're at in your own relationship to God, whether you've lived for God a long time or not, and you, you, you have memories, you can think of things that maybe some of it still hangs on just a little bit. Maybe you're, you're afraid that people might know the real you. Well, I know one who knows you, the real you, and God loves you still. It is God. It's Jesus. You don't have to continually live under the, the weight of an identity that he never intended for you. You can be liberated from it. All you have to do is say, thank you, Jesus, for taking that, and believe that he takes it. He didn't want you to carry that around. It doesn't matter what others say about you. It doesn't matter what you have done. All that matters is, is you have a Father in heaven who so loved you that Jesus carried it all for you. 
Stop carrying it. Give it to him. If you're here today and you've not said yes to Jesus, and maybe there are reasons why the church has disappointed you, welcome to the church. You know, it's what religion does for us. Religion disappoints. It always does. Even the Christian religion, I hate to say it, but it's reality. We're, we're human. We carry around our humanity. And uh, therefore, sometimes, even those who go by the name of Christian are sometimes guilty of not carrying that identity very well. But don't base a relationship with a living, wonderful God on the fact that others have failed you. Base your relationship on the one who has not and never will fail you. Jesus. 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 I'm going to pray, and as I pray, whatever your standing is, long time living for God or just starting that journey with you, I want you to know that it is about love. Love has everything to do with it. My dad loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. Oh, I could spend the next three hours just telling you story after story, ones that I'm not proud of. My father never gave up on me. And Jesus never gave up on me. He wants me. He wants you. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being a father. I thank you for the privilege and the responsibility that, Lord, I do not take lightly to be a dad, to be a son, to be a grandfather, to be a pastor, to be a friend. Lord, I pray for every person here, whether son or daughter, that, Lord, we would all remember and recognize we have a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And that name, nobody else knows the way I know it. I know it because I know what my name should have been. I know what my name was connected to. I understand very well that the, the Japanese version of my name really probably fit better with who I was. But you've given me a new name, one I didn't deserve, one that is faultless. It's incredible. I can't even comprehend it. But you give it, and I know what it means because I know what you had to do to give me that name. I know what you had to overcome of my own doing to give me that new name. I know the price you paid that I could be called faultless. And I thank you for it. I pray, Lord, every person here will walk in the knowledge and the joy and the confidence that they are yours. And because they are yours, they get to walk into your house as family. They get to sit at your table. They get the benefit of who you are because they are your sons and daughters, because you love them that much. Thank you for forgiving all of our stuff and giving us a place at your table. In Jesus' name, amen.